Hey everybody, welcome to Naval Gazing the Valley Indie Podcast. My name is Eugene Driscoll of ValleyIndie.org. That's an online newspaper that launched in 2009, covers Ansonia, Derby, and the town of Seymour. My guest for this episode, uh, it's a video episode, as you can see, and it'll also be going out on the podcast uh, networks, is State Representative Cara Rochelle, who represents Ansonia and Derby in the State House of Representatives. Welcome back to the broadcast, Representative Rochelle. Thank you for having me, Eugene. So before we begin, there's a lot to talk about. This was a big day in the state. This is like the biggest state lawmaker. I mean, I guess when you pass the, 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 uh, the whole budget, that's another big day. But uh, so there's a lot to talk about. But before we begin, I wanted to read a word from our sponsor, valleygivesback.org. While giving back is always in session, now is a great time to plan your gift. Name a Valley nonprofit in your estate plan and create a legacy that tells future generations what matter to you. With the planned gift, you have the power to impact the Valley forever without affecting your current lifestyle. Your action will inspire others to make a difference in their own way. Remember the Valley. Ask your accountant, financial planner, or attorney about planned giving options. Plan now. Give later. Impact tomorrow. Learn more at Valley Gives Back. Org. All right. So like I was saying, it's February 10th and Governor Lamont this afternoon uh, at, at high noon made a budget presentation or a budget speech or, or whatever, however you want to call it. It was pre-recorded. So uh, that obviously impacts your job greatly. I guess the first thing I'll ask about, like I remember going up to Hartford a few times when I was at the News Times at Danbury uh, and meeting like Ken Dixon from the Connecticut Post and I didn't have a press pass and he made one for me, you know, because I was getting uh, the, the Capitol Police were wondering who I was. Uh, and it was I was amazed like the to do and the amount of bodies they stuff into a uh, into a room. And it was just, you know, it was government government, you know. Yeah. But now how do they how does that work today with because uh, you're not up there, right? They don't. This is all. It's, it's very different. Um, so uh, because of COVID, um, there was an agreement that was, uh, that was worked upon amongst the leaders, uh, Democratic and Republican leaders of the House and Senate. They all agreed on uh, how we were gonna operate this year. Uh, and so all of the things that we do as a legislature are happening. Um, they're just happening remotely. Uh, and in some ways, it's actually, um, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to that. So for example, the public hearings. Um, previously, a public hearing, you'd need to go up to Hartford. Um, there's a certain time of the morning, you put your name on the list to sign up. Uh, and then you have to wait all day until your name was called. Uh, and then you testify in person. Now that we're doing it remotely, somebody can go online um, and put their name in and review the list of where they are in line and then periodically just check back until it's their turn and they could be home. You know, last night we, um, we had a public hearing for 12 and a half hours yesterday on the insurance committee. And so at 1130 at night, you know, we're still there, we're still listening. And, and it was, it was interesting because one of the last people to speak was a nurse who said this actually worked better for her. She had just gotten off her shift. She'd been checking all day between on her breaks, um, which she wouldn't have been able to have done had she had to go to Hartford to testify. So I think in some ways, um, there's the digital divide that you worry about. People can testify on their phones. They can still submit um, you know, email testimony. Um, but in some ways, it's actually making it easier for a lot of people to weigh in on the things that matter to them. 
And I saw, uh, you know, I don't cover the state on a daily basis. I'll just throw that out there for anyone who's already angry that I'm not uh, hitting Rochelle up with these tough follow-up questions and I'm starting with such a fluffy topic, but whatever. Governor Lamont has suggested, or one of his proposals is to see Zoom and the use of this technology uh, remain on the local level. Like after, and hopefully it happens sooner rather than later, we get COVID under control, really under control. Do you think we'll see local governments and say Durbin and Sonia continue to use Zoom to bring as much people uh, into these meetings? So I know that with, uh, you know, that was an executive order that was put in place last year. And Part of the legislative process is now in preparation for when, because the governor is not going to be on, exe- um, on executive order forever. So now um, the legislature, all the committees are looking through all the executive orders to see which ones are, are worth keeping and bringing to a public hearing and, and weighing in on and potentially implementing into law. Um, that's one of them. And in fact, um, I don't know if you recall, but one of the first listening sessions that I had um, with uh, Rep. Wielander and Rep. Claire Destetria, um, that was actually brought up by a, a local resident, a local official. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I think that these types of things make government more transparent and what we really want is people to be engaged, right? It's government by people for people and we want them involved. And so if this is going to take some of the mystique out of it and make it more accessible, that's a good thing in Mm. my eyes, at least. Yeah, I, I agree, even though I'm not supposed to give my opinion, but all right, so let's get down to brass tacks. I don't know if I'm using that phrase correctly, but there's one issue that, I've been covering for 11 years now, uh, and it really hasn't progressed as much as people, at least in Derby, want it to. And it's been bubbling up over the last couple of months, and it was sort of uh, encapsulated at the end of a Derby planning and zoning meeting recently, where a commissioner, Ray Sadlick, said, Route 34 widening, we've heard every excuse in the sun. It, It seems to be cursed. It hasn't moved forward. We've been waiting uh, at least a decade. The chairman of the PNZ said, I remember seeing plans in 1998 for this thing. I mean, we've had a federal, Donald Trump has come and gone. Uh, you know, there's been other projects that, are, that have, were thought of and, and put into action and happened, and we're still waiting for Route 34. So, and I've heard this many, many times, state representatives who, who, who represent the people in Hartford and state senators, what are you doing to get this thing off the ground finally in Derby? So a lot. <laughs> um, I, I think that this is something that, um, you know, I, I lived in Derby for several years and drove by there every single day, twice a day going to and from work. Uh, and have had a lot of time to um, think about, you know, what's what the holdup is. And now that I'm in a position to do something about it, have really dove in pretty quickly, um, connected with the COG, connected with state officials, and over the last two years, um, you know, there's, there's, there's steps to this process, right? And so one of the things that I thought was interesting that folks may not have realized was going on that it was in the past two years, there was over 200 drill spots um, done by utility companies. Um, what, you know, we have a long history in this area. We, we're very proud of the history that we have, um, you know, a deep and rich one in our community. It also means that below ground in Route 34, there's a deep and rich history of gnarled wires, tunnels, other utility things from times past. And before you open up the ground to do the project, you have to have a clear idea of of what the project is. Um, And so a normal project does not have 200 plus drill sites. 
Um, you know, there was a push um, to get the utility companies and there's several different utility companies to get them to do the holes. Those are now done um, in the fall. Um, you yeah, know, I, I think just, that when I spoke to you last. Hmm? Yeah, I don't remember when we, when we last spoke about this, but when you say there was a push, because I think the feeling in Derby among uh, some uh, local officials, and I'm going back uh, years now, they want state representatives and senators to get whoever's holding this up like into a room and, and, and you know, splash some water on them and maybe you know, get it done, you know, kind of take them by the neck and say, what is going on? So when you say there was a push with these utility companies, because I had heard that was part of the, the holdup, the utility companies were just sort of being bureaucratic and that this whole thing is just a bureaucratic nightmare. There was a conversation that I can't, I, I, I won't get into all of it, but there was a conversation I had with them and said, listen, um, you do this or we have problems. Um, and that's as, as, as politely as I can say it. Um, you know, I, I think that we have a very compelling case for why this needs to get done. And there's a lot of scrutiny on the utility companies right now for what they are or not doing for our state. Uh, and so if they'd like to have a larger conversation continue, we can have a larger conversation continue about the work that they're doing, or they could do what, we're, what they're required to do. So um, luckily they were responsive um, to that and decided to get this work completed. And so I actually printed out anticipating this was going to be part of the discussion. Um, you may remember that in December, um, the COG, who is the overarching handler of this project, um, they were meeting with the state's engineers, um, an mm -hmm. army of engineers, as it were, to go over this next phase. Basically, it's, it's pull information, get a plan together, analyze the plan, see what the holes are, go to the next step with it, and, and there's percentage of completion. So on the 34 project, let's see here. So... The grant, the, the thing to remember is that the actual, the $5 million grant that, that was secured during Linda Gentile's era is still being used. So this is not a matter at the moment of, of needing additional you know, funding per se. They need to release some of the funding on the, on the DOT side and they wanna see the project ready to go. So the, there's two sections to this project. One is the Derby Shelton Bridge and one is the, the 34 proper. And they touch each other, they're interconnected. And there's a, an order of operations and how they have to get done because one, if you did them both at the same time, it would actually shut off power for several months, potentially to a large section of Derby. There's, there's, there's no way to work around some of that where they, they need to do it in pieces that way they cannot disrupt some power service uh, is how it was explained to me. So um, the, the bid is, is, is already selected for the Derby Shelton Bridge. That is starting. And that's important because the quicker that they get that underway, the clicker, we can clear the way to start the next part. So even though the technical groundbreak may not happen yet on 34, this is connected, um, they're adjacent projects and they're interrelated. And you may still see some drilling, some pre-utility work on 34 in preparation for this next step with Route 34. Um, and so um, from my last discussion with Rick, they're looking at potentially going out to bid later in the summer. For the Route 34 project, yeah, later in the summer. So, and Rick is and, Rick Dunn wanna, from. Go ahead. Oh wait, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, so basically, how this works is, you know, we know what our next milestone is. We check in with them. They execute next milestone. We check and say, do you need anything? Where are we? Where do we need to put pressure on? And then we keep going with it. So that's. I think there's been more movement in the past two years than maybe the last ten, um, as far as actual 
physically touching the road, physically getting the reports together. Um, so fingers crossed, and we'll keep we'll keep fighting like all heck on it. And the Rick you had mentioned is Rick Don, the executive director of the Naugatuck Valley Council of Governments, who will be appearing at tomorrow night, February tomorrow being February 11th, uh, February 11th meeting of the Derby Board of Alder Men, Alder Women. Although I just looked at the agenda, he's like way down there, so you're gonna you're gonna have to sit through a lot. And then Rick will talk for three hours about what's going on uh, with these two projects. The thing about the the, the Derby Shelton Briggs, that's bridge that sort of crept up on me because I, I always heard like 34, 34, 34. And then all of a sudden the bridge and like it's 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 I didn't know they were connected because I thought the bridge came much later. But that seems to be moving much faster. But that might just be my perception. So that's just me rattling on a hypothesis. The, the, but, the plans have to line up. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's additional lanes being put in and there's also ut some utility interaction that had to be thought out well. Okay. Then this, I, in terms of that bridge, that's a, a re it's like a, I think a $5 million project, right? It wasn't something like that was awarded the five mm -hmm. to $6 million. And yeah. I wrote basically, you know, the, the, the Envy Cog sent out a press release and, uh, you know, I put in some background about what's happening in Derby in terms of the re redevelopment zone in the last year, two projects have been uh, uh, approved there. So that's happening. You know, you have the Route 34 widening, looming out there. But the public was like, forget you. Uh, you know, this, this bridge is bogus. Uh, I wrote a headline saying this will, you know, improve the downtowns, which was, was probably a bad headline. I wish, I wish I had, if I could take that back, I would. But why do you think that project is important and why should people care that a bridge is, you know, going to look better and have, you know, because a lot of people are saying this is just lipstick on a pig. So I, I first I want to, people are very, um, people are frustrated and, and, and they rightfully are frustrated. It's taken a really long time for downtown development to happen um, and it shouldn't have taken this long. So of course they're upset. Um, I can I can certainly see why they would look at that and say it's just a bridge. The thing to remember is that one, you know, there's an order of operations. Like, you know, we need to get them both done. Um, two, it's in the transportation-oriented development zone, and so um, adding the extra lane, tra traffic flow matters when you're looking at development. Traffic flow really matters, um, and having a a, a a flow where you have um, bike lanes, where you have walkways between the two downtowns where you have, you know, the ability for the people that um, that potentially will live in the apartments and the mixed use that's going on down, that, that may go in down here, for them to have the ability of a walkable downtown is really desirable. And so it's a bargaining chip to attract developers as well. So, you know, when a developer comes in, you know, you, you, we, we brought in Commissioner Lehman recently, Commissioner Lehman as the Director of Economic and Community Development for the state of Connecticut. He's evaluating, um, you know, where to put folks' tax dollars um, and who's ready and who's not ready and what all the puzzle pieces look like. And we bring him in because we want him to see, we want him to stand in the middle of our downtown. And so, so we can point and say, do you see how close that train station is? Do you see where that bridge is? That's, this is what the bridge is going to look like in, 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 in two years. This is what is happening right here. So that he understands when we're asking for a certain amount of money for a certain puzzle piece, 
um, or need his his resources, his staff in DECD to work with our staff uh, and the city level and work with, with our office, they understand and have a better um, relationship with that. And it wasn't just Commissioner Leeming came down, it was his deputy commissioner as well. So he brought a team in um, to really take a closer look at Derby, really take a closer look at Ansonia, sit down um, in Derby with the full team, with um, you know the mayor, um, with Drew Backlick, with uh, Carmen DeSenzo, and ask some brass tack questions. Hey, did you hear Harry Connick Jr. taped a music video like a week ago at the Sterling Opera House in Derby? No, is that is that true? I believe it's true. All right, I'm just trying to get some more info. Uh, I thought, all right. But, uh, you know, one thing that's sort of frustrating about the Route 34 project, I think, is like, I think it literally destabilizes Derby government to some extent. I've been obsessing over this and fighting with people on Facebook uh, over it because, you know, every two years there's an election. And so every two years, although everybody in Derby, like you at least get one term, but it becomes this political hammer that you hit the other side uh, over the head with, you know, going back years now. Uh, and it's yeah. sort of frustrating to see as like, I'm just an outside of, I mean, I live in Derby and like 34 is right there, but like, it's sort of frustrating to see because it's that one project that is always, you know, uh, a political hammer you can, cause it's, cause it never seems to get done or, or move forward. It's always easy. So hopefully, uh, you know, it happens, it happens. It's, it, it's unfortunate that I think, you know, what we see on the reports and what we see in the, you know, in the checklist where pieces are being checked off, it, it's all on paper, so it's hard for people to really connect to. Um, but um, it, for anyone that has seen the drilling in recent years, that that was part of this and that was a really important part of this to get done. Because um, we need to know before we open up the road what, what, we're, what the plan is with it. Okay. Uh, and then in terms, like I had said uh, badly at the beginning of this broadcast today, uh, the governor unveiled his budget. And one thing that's always vitally important, especially to Derby uh, and Ansonia is actually, before we get to that, let's talk about uh, reimbursement for school construction. Cause that's also an issue that has been talked a lot about uh, in Derby because there is a committee working to determine whether it makes sense to regionalize, consolidate, share services between the school districts in Derby and Ansonia. And they're pretty far along to the point where I know, mm -hmm. I believe Jim Gilday, who's the co-chair of that group and the chairman of the Derby Board of Ed, and Joseph Yauman, who's Ansonia Alderman and the Ansonia co-chair of that committee. They met with all the legislators. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a state rep, or I guess she was... Was she a Mary Wielander, mm -hmm. George Cabrera, and, and Nicole, uh, Nicole Claritas Dietria? And I, oh, yeah. I'm going to have this is like part of a new series I'm doing. I'm inviting lawmakers to come on and talk about this thing. So don't don't accuse me of bias if you haven't been invited on yet. I'm just disorganized. So and from that meeting, what happened? I saw there's a bill pending that was introduced by the Valley delegation. What the heck is it? So. Um, it's, it's to get more money for the region to help them with this process. So, um, you know, there was a state grant and it was given to the towns to form this committee to hire some, a company to do the study. And now this, this committee has come to their conclusions with it. They've met with us um, already. Uh, we've discussed um, what's in it, what they need. We've crafted a proposal. 
Um, we're now uh, trying to push that through the legislature. Uh, and so this was something that, you know, was crafted and signed off on by, uh, you know, me, Mary, George, and Nicole, um, and consulted with on more than one occasion with, um, with Jim and Joe. So um, there's been a, a good amount of collaboration happening, which has been really nice, uh, because we do better work when we work together. So um, got that crafted. Um, I've also um, had personal conversations with the chair of the um, education committee, which is the committee that's in, that is uh, Bobby Sanchez, Representative Sanchez, and um, have talked to Tone Philippe, who is uh, Representative Philippe, who is um, also on the subcommittee for education funding for the um, Appropriations Committee. So met with them and also met with the Office of Policy Management, which is the governor's office about this bill. And, um, and Senator Cabrera is working on Senator McCrory, who's the co-chair of the committee. So we're working every angle to try to get folks, um, you know, to, to advance this bill. The thing is to remember is that every committee uh, has a different way in which they do bills. So some committees, you put your name on the bill, the bill goes forward with your bill number, with your title on it. Some committees like the education committee, um, they take everyone's, they kind of put all the bills together in one big bill. So we wanna make sure what we're working on is trying to um, get it through the process of being basically put in a blender and, and put into the Frankenstein bill. Um, and, if, and there's other ways around this too. Go ahead. I wanted to ask, I thought there was a bill pending that the delegation put together that had to do with reimbursement of school yes. construction should. Yes. Is that, is that so a thing? That's what this is. That's yes. that. Okay. Oh, so, I thought you were saying it's just to get the study completed. I, I misunderstood. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's so, probably so the, study is, the study is done. And we're in the process now with what the, what the reimbursement is. So uh, Derby and Ansonia both have a baseline of reimbursement around 76%, 76, 77%. Um, and the current um, regionalization bonus is around 10%. We want to get as much as we can for our community. That, that is always the ball game is, is get as much as you can for Ansonia and Derby. So we've created um, a structure for a larger regionalization bonus based on regionalizing with the distressed municipality, which we have two of, which means we should get a double bonus for that in our eyes. So we're pushing for a 20% reimbursement instead of 10%. Well, what does that mean? What does that work out to for dollars? If this happens, if we can get this through, what that would mean is um, the project as a whole is about $20 million. 96% reimbursement, a 10% increase in reimbursement would be about $2 million more. And that saves um, at the end of the day. I'm sorry. I keep this wrong. The taxpayers of Ansonia and Derby money. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was trying to point out here that, that yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, and I know, and it's been on Facebook today already in various groups. I remember uh, Linda Gentile, I remember Ethan going to the meeting and she was saying years ago, I even I even think before Mayor Zekin was mayor in, in Derby that look, this is coming. Uh, Derby and Ansonia should be talking about these things and they have to their credit uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, what do you think, what, what are the chances of, of, of that bill happening, considering that Derby and Ansonia are far along in the process when there was just another bill introduced, I guess, today or, or, or whenever, uh, saying smaller communities might be forced to do something like this? And I may be butchering that. It's, so that so that was I believe Senator Looney's bill. Um, and the thing to remember, and there's, there's a couple overarching things I want folks to remember about kind of like how the mechanics of the legislature, because I see th certain things happen at the beginning of the year every year, um, and I always want to kind of like you know reach out to people and say don't don't freak out, it's okay. When we're in the legislative process, there's 151 
representatives and 36 senators. Every single one of those folks is elected by their community and they can introduce a bill on anything they want. So they can introduce a bill to force regionalization or somebody introduced a bill for tolls again, which, which you know, we all know is dead. Um, but folks introduce bills on all types of issues. That does not mean that folks should be alarmed because it does not mean they're gonna get far in the process. The legislative process takes months because it is a process of building consensus and it naturally pushes back the bills that will not have consensus. So things that are unpopular ideas aren't gonna get very far. Um, and so I just want folks to, to, to know that. So, um, so if, you know, if you see folks online and they're, if they're trying to freak you out or, or, or saying, you know, what is this, you know, what is this? And just, just reach out and ask because we'll let you, we'll let you know. And, and, you know, I know I, I care very much about making sure that residents in the community are engaged in the process and know about opportunities to testify that know about opportunities to weigh in. Um, you know, I put out surveys, I have community coffee events. We want you involved in the process. I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. I know all of my colleagues feel that way. And so um, reach out, we do better work because of it. But um, I, I don't, I, I personally don't, don't, uh, don't think it's going to get very far with forced regionalization. My, my bill, the bill that's that forced, our, but, but what, yeah, your bill, do you think that has a better does not force? Right. Do you think your bill has a better, or the one from the Valley delegation, including yourself has a better chance of being approved uh, considering Derby and Antonio are way ahead of the curve. So I think that in some form, um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to get pushed forward. And we're certainly pushing very hard on it. I'm working with my leadership as well to to advocate on this bill. Um, they're aware, uh, they're very aware of, of the situation in Sonia and Derby. I've, I've been very vocal about the issues that we have down here with economic distress. So, um, and the other avenue is, is to go directly through the Office of Policy Management. Um, and so um, we're not confining ourselves to one avenue. We're, we're using all avenues to work this. And the thing to remember is that if, if this is approved, it's going to be an, uh, basically an if. So if this, this is approved, it's, it, it's going to say this money is on the table if Ansonia and Derby approve it. If Ansonia and Derby, as towns, both vote and say that this is what the path they want to take, then we go into the next phase of this process, which involves applying for the funds. So there's an, an additional um, uh, process with paperwork and deadlines that has to be done by the state, but we're not there yet. We Until the towns approve that, we can't go on to the next step. And that's a great thing to point out because as yeah. you also said earlier, but I interrupted, this is not forced. Just because nope. this bill is happening doesn't mean the will of the people, the literal will of the yeah. people will be subverted of any way because it's still any proposal, if it comes, has to be approved by the voters in both towns. All right, cool. Uh, school funding. I know I read in the CT Mirror the other day, there was a press conference among uh, a whole bunch of different uh, uh, advocates calling for equity and education funding. And this is something we hear in Derby and Ansonia. I mean, you usually hear Bridgeport and the larger cities, but we're sort of mini versions of those yeah. communities where for years now, we've never gotten our fair share of funding from the state uh, you know, to run the schools. There's this idea, well, it's, you know, that it goes up every year. We're gonna have full funding, whatever year, 2022 or something like that. Uh, but this was saying, we want our money now. And then uh, there today, Governor Lamont in his bill, from what I read, again, this is not like first person coverage and I have a feeling you might know more than me. 
he says, all right, we're going to we're going to freeze our, our, our state funding that we had promised the last couple of years. That's going to stay as is. But we got this windfall from the feds because of pandemic. We have all this pandemic money. You're going to get a ton of that money. But I think automatically, and you saw, I saw it already a little on uh, Ansonia Facebook, there's people saying like, oh, wait a second, we've been underserved to some extent by the state. We want the money that's due to us, plus this money that, that, that's coming uh, as well. Where do you stand? And did I just butcher that whole explanation? Um, no, you're, you're doing great. And, um, you know, one, I always want the most money possible for our students. First and foremost, you know, I, I want our kids to have the education they deserve. Um, you know, the fact that we're underfunded, it, you know, makes me quite upset too. And, um, you know, and that gets voiced pretty often uh, in Hartford. There's a coalition of legislators. As you mentioned, there's articles about legislators that have spoken up about this. There's a coalition of legislators, um, myself and Senator Cabrera and, and, and others in the, in the Valley included, who have been very vocal about this and are, and are pushing for efforts to fix the ECS formula to get more funding to the schools. So one thing I want to impress upon folks is that the governor's budget presentation is his presentation. The Appropriations Committee, um, the Finance Committee, then separately as the legislature create their own uh, you know, budget plan. And then the negotiations start around April. So we're a separate body. And we have separate ideas sometimes. There are things we like, there's things we dislike, there's things that, that we are gonna have hard lines and say no way, and there's things that he's gonna have hard lines and say no way. And so this is the kickoff of the process. It's one, one, one part of the presentation, um, but this is definitely not an ending point. I think a good example of that is two years ago, um, it, was, it was tolls, right? So it was um, the governor wanted tolls, um, the Republicans said, no, 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 we know we have to fund the special transportation fund. We want to raid the rainy day fund and bond the rest, borrow the rest. And there were those of us who said, we don't like either of those ideas. <laughs> and that was, and, and so neither of them happened. And so when you see things in, in, in January, February, it's the beginning of the process. It's, it's like all the ingredients are on the table, we have not made the soup yet. Um, and so we're gonna see this progress. Um, we're gonna put up opportunities for folks to testify. Um, and then we'll see, I think today, uh, speak, uh, Speaker Ritter described it as, it's basketball season. We haven't gotten to the final four, not even close. Hmm. Um, so the proposals that are going to really get there are, are, are not even negotiated yet. And uh, the CT Mayor, CT News Junkie, and all the state media uh, reported that there was there's no tolls this time in Lamont's uh, plan to fix our, our transportation fund. But there is a mileage tax on trucks. The yeah. fear before this was unveiled, and I guess it's still out there to some extent. Well, it starts off with trucks, but then it goes to me in my 2006 Pontiac vibe, I'm going to have to be play, paying out the wazoo. Where do you, do you think that's uh, something you'll support the, I mean, in terms of the mileage tax on, on trucks? So we, we received a 200 page document today and, uh, and we, I received it a few hours ago. So we're going to be going line by line and really scrutinizing these. Um, you know, he, there was, there was no detail given on what this is, how it would work. And, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in, in getting all of the information and giving it to the residents and having that conversation first, um, especially with hot button issues. So um, I just don't know enough yet because he presented it this afternoon and um, that's fine. It'll be scrutinized. How about uh, the other one 
because I, I don't want to take up too much of your time because there's, there's some things that you want to uh, talk about. Uh, marijuana. I'm so confused because uh, the way it, it was sort of presented in the documents that, Is that I saw. that one statement, marijuana, I'm so confused? Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'm confused about a lot of things. I'm not saying those are connected, but the... The way that the proposal is online on the governor's website, it's so, it's so passive. Is marijuana legal? I'm so I don't know what's going on. But then we're going to get the money for marijuana and that's going to like plow the roads here in Derby. What's what's happening there? And I don't mean to make light of it because but I am. But what's going on? So so I think it's not a matter of if but when with this policy, all the states around us are, are, are doing it. it. You know, nationally, multiple states have already um, legalized and regulated it for recreational use. And it's gotten to be a much more serious bill in recent years in the legislature. So it used to just be a bill and someone would put it up every year and it didn't really have much body or depth to it. I guess you could say it doesn't have substance in it. Now what's happening is you're seeing the bill being uh, submitted to the various committees that would manage various aspects of it, right? And so the public health committee has certain components and the judicial com committee has certain components. And, um, you, know, you know, how we're going to um, regulate the businesses and who's gonna get the licensing and all of that is being more seriously structured in these, in these bills. Um, and the fact that it was on the governor's um, proposal list means that it, it, it's something he seriously wants to do. Um, and it's also the first time he's actually put it into his budget. So while he mentioned it two years ago, he didn't he didn't bank on it by putting it into the budget. Um, you know, and we're we're um, I think that that the policy development has gone a lot farther in the past few years than it has previously. And so I'm I'm hopeful it will get there. I've done enough. Um, surveying of our districts to know that the majority of our districts, a, a large majority of our districts supports this. Um, supports and so, legalized recreational marijuana use. Yes. And, and do it in a way that's thoughtful and respectful of those that are apprehensive. Right. So, so it, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't think we're not going to be California. Um, we're Connecticut and we do things differently out here. And so we have one of the most um, strongly regulated and professionally regulated um, medical programs in the country. And I think that we can be a, a, an example of doing things in a way that is um, respectful to all parties, but, but, but moves us forward on this. Okay, then uh, I, I said I would turn it over to you, but one other thing that I wanted to ask you, because I keep attending police commission meetings in Derby and then Gene Fabo Sosnovich attended a police commission meeting in Seymour. And they're, they're both, the chiefs in both towns are, are in the Derby, the budget hasn't been presented, but Chief Narowski has keeps saying, and Sitkowski up in Seymour, this bill's going to cost taxpayers money. And they keep going back to equipment, basically. They're saying equipment. Narowski's mentioned all this new mandated training, uh, and it's money they feel they just don't have. Uh, Derby, I guess the first year, there's 50% reimbursement for Derby since it's a uh, economically distressed city. But uh, what's the latest on that? Because they keep thinking or hoping that some of these uh, aspects of that bill will be re-looked at, that it could change because they're saying it's, it's going to be expensive. So it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually just on a call about this issue today. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for other legislators in other parts of the state, but I, I'm very sensitive to the fact that we are distressed municipalities. Um, I've had conversations um, with both the chiefs. Um, I, I, you know, spoke with the chiefs um, before the bill, after the bill, um, have taken information from them. I'm in the process of getting um, a larger list of, of what their concerns are. I have a list for one of the towns I'm working on the other town. Um, and 
So there is the 50% reimbursement um, for distressed municipalities, which both towns would qualify for. But I've just, also that, gone- you're, you're talking Derby and Ansonia, because I threw Seymour, yes. but you actually don't represent Seymour. So no. you're talking Derby and Ansonia. Yes, it's 30% for, for Seymour. Any, for, for the other towns, it's 30%, but it's- Oh, that's right. Your whole family is from Seymour. So even though you don't represent that, that's where, yeah. My okay. family's from all over the they're valley. <laughs> My oh, dad sorry. actually grew up on uh, Anthony Street in Derby. He used to uh, crawl around the green in Derby um, playing- Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, and my and my great grandfather moved to the north end of Ansonia. I've got photos of him from 1927 in oh. Ansonia. See, I'm the worst yeah. kind of valley resident. I moved up from New York like 15 years ago, so everybody hates me. Your pizza's <laughs> not that good. All right, sorry, that has nothing to do. So you talk to these police chiefs, and you have a list of of, of their concerns. Yeah, so so I'm working with them. Um, you know, we we I I've, I've been pretty clear. Um, you know that we we want to see more done to help. The community uh, to help our, our departments on this front. So, um, you know, it, it is being taken seriously. It is being discussed and we're bringing it to the right, the right folks in the right departments uh, in Hartford about it. Okay. And there's much more we could talk about even uh, on that topic and the increase in juvenile crime we keep hearing about locally, but I wanted to uh, sort of turn it over to, to you for a, a minute because I saw like, I mean, anybody can go and look up the bills you, you, your name is on bills you've introduced. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a lot of interesting stuff on there connected to the Waterbury line, sort of hits all the, uh, the big areas. What are some, what are your goals, I guess, for this uh, session? I mean, COVID's still here, obviously, and that hasn't gone away. But what are some bills you're, so, for lack of a better word, excited about? Um, so first, uh, you know, the past year has been really hard for our residents. Uh, you know, and, and being in the position that I'm in, I think legislators have really been on the front lines. Um, when folks didn't know who to call and what direction to turn to, um, you know, we were we were getting hundreds of emails a day um, and and responding to folks really quickly. So a lot of the community has spoken with me or Marianne, my 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 assistant. Um, you know, to handle unemployment issues, to handle, you know, small business issues, to handle um, rent and mortgage support or um, healthcare issues. I mean, you name it, we've, we've, we've handled it in the past year. Um, and so first and foremost, getting folks onto more stable ground um, for everyone that lost jobs um, or is now underemployed. I'm really focused on workforce development. Um, I'm the vice chair of the Commerce Committee and I'm on the Higher Ed and Workforce Development Committee. Uh, and that's intentional. I've been on them uh, my first term and this term too. And that's because this region needs this type of attention so much. And you need folks from distressed municipalities that have the problems that we have to be in these committees and pushing policy that affects us. So, um, you know, standing up some some workforce development um, policy uh, and and focusing some resources on us and on distressed municipalities is is a big one of mine. Um, you know, I'm working on a bill that would uh, create savings for manufacturers and incentivize them to hire people in distressed municipalities. Uh, you know, there's the, obviously the Waterbury train line, um, and that's that's going to be huge for this region. Um, and it's huge even if you don't ride the trains. And so for folks that, that don't ride the trains, um, transportation-oriented development is a very real phenomenon and it, and it brings people to the community, um, people that will create vibrant downtowns um, and help grow our grant lists and help to lower taxes for residents. Um, so this is all related. You know, I, I, I can't set the tax rate in Ansonia or Derby, but I can help to create policy that's going to support development in our communities. So um, jobs, economic development is huge for me. Healthcare is huge. Um, I was on a, 
I mentioned I was on a, a, a public hearing for 12 and a half hours yesterday, and mm. it was a public hearing on a public option for healthcare. And, um, you know, I think there's this misconception that it's going to cost, you know, a, a lot of money. And that's why with policy, it's so important, the devil's in the details. And with this particular proposal, which is crafted by Kevin Lembo, our controller, um, it, it actually uh, doesn't cost, if you, if you don't purchase the healthcare, it doesn't cost you anything. And it's all it's doing is opening up the healthcare that I have as a legislator to small businesses and nonprofits. So Eugene, if, if, if you are paying a lot in healthcare and we get this bill through, you could potentially buy the same healthcare coverage that I have at, at a cheaper rate. And, um, and that's the goal, right? Is to make it more affordable for people because people are struggling. So now what's the, how, where's that bill go from the public hearing that happened yesterday? So uh, any bill that's going to potentially get out of committee, we call it, any bill that's going to get a vote to possibly pass committee, which is the, one of the first few barriers, um, needs to have a public hearing. We, you know, this is, this is the democratic process. We want, we want the, the public must be involved. Uh, and so um, when I introduce a bill, when anyone introduces a bill, um, I'll give you an example. So there was uh, 5,000 bills that were introduced in my first term in legislature in 2019. They get funneled to all the different committees that they could possibly, that, that, that they belong in. The chairs of those committees and the executives of those committees then do a screening process and say, oh, these are duplicates. This doesn't belong in our committee. This one seems viable. Um, call this legislator and find out what they mean by this and starts putting them together and saying, okay, these ones are not going to go anywhere. Just set them aside. These ones are uh, things we should bring to the committee. So then they go to the committee. The committee decides if they want to raise it as a concept, put some language into it, um, uh, bring it for a public hearing, vote to draft it, um, and then eventually vote it out of committee. So these are all steps that, that need to be taken. Um, once it gets out of committee, it goes through additional screening processes. Uh, so just because it gets out of committee, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to the floor for a vote either. Typically, by the time a bill gets to the floor of the House, it is already, even when it leaves committee, there's months of additional work done on it to get it right, to work with stakeholders. Um, so and eventually, this, do you think that this one is going to move forward or is it one of those you're just going to toss to the side and say, I forget it? Healthcare? Um, so, so this bill, I, I think that there's uh, a very there's a lot of support for this, right? I mean, people, people need affordable health care and, you know, enough is enough. This is, this is, uh, if, if ever there were a time that folks were keenly aware of the importance of healthcare, it's, it's now, right? We're in the middle of a pandemic and people have lost their jobs. And when you lose your job, you lose your health care. Um, and it's been a crisis. Um, and so creating sane and affordable pathways is, is, is life or death for people. I mean, the stories that we heard yesterday were, um, heartbreaking and, and all too common. And, you know, we, we can wait for the insurance companies to do, do the right thing on their own, or we can understand that part of public policy is creating policies that work for people. And so, um, you know, I would say if, 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 if I'm your rep, you already got me, I'm voting for it. Um, if I'm not your rep and you're watching this, call your rep and tell them that you, that, you know, if you believe in this and you want this done, call your rep and tell them that you want them to vote for it. Tell them you want to see it supported. So we'll have a vote um, now that we're done with public hearing to, to get it out of committee. Um, and then if it passes committee, uh, then it, it will get screened and, and more negotiations will happen. Um, I hope it will get to the floor for a vote, but I don't know yet. 
And then in, in just in terms of all the bills that'll be coming forward the next couple of months, uh, the fact that COVID's still here and you know, Connecticut is being run essentially by the governor and executive order. Uh, does that make it, I mean, are we going to return to a day? I mean, I've, I know we're eventually going to return, but does COVID dominate everything? It's like, you know, they say with, well, Joe Biden can't get anything done the first uh, hundred days because there's an impeachment going on. That's what, you know, one uh, uh, anti-impeachment argument. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just stating that's a, a, an argument that's been made. Does that happen? Uh, or is that happening in Connecticut? We're talking about all these bills, but COVID's still here. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, and that's still the first, you know, we're still trying to get the vaccine to out to everybody. Uh, where, what impact is that having on the normal everyday job you do other than the obvious of on Zoom all day long for 13 hours? So I think we're obviously much more geared towards recovery, uh, recovery for, you know, in, in a thousand different ways, whether it's, you know, the businesses that are struggling, um, the families who have taken a serious financial hit and will take a long time to recover, um, people who have gotten sick and are long haulers that need assistance, people who, who are, you know, there's a, there's a rent and mortgage crisis looming. There's, there's a lot that needs to get done. Um, and some of it we're waiting on the federal dollars, right? The state can't print money, but the feds can. And so we're waiting to see what they're putting in their final package because that's going to dictate to us what we do to an extent. It's part of why that the budget coming up now, we need to wait and see because the, the federal dollars that are going to come in are going to have rules attached to them. And so it makes no sense to say, I'm going to put this much to this and, and this much to that when we might get a, a, a federal package that says, no, this, this money has to go to this. And so we don't want to double up. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, does, yeah. so there's a lot of moving parts right now. Um, and as far as, you know, the focus, we, we can walk and chew gu bubble gum. And I think that part of why, um, you know, it, it's, this is a double-edged sword, um, or it's not even a double-edged sword. It's just a difficult process is because there's the immediate recovery that we're working on. There's, there's, there's all of these immediate and pressing things and, and your first focus is always your residence. And then there's the legislating um, and gearing all of this policy. And, I, and I, I do have to say that, you know, unless you have three computers, um, you know, it's, it, it takes twice as long to get anything done working legislating remotely because the conversations, a lot of this is conversations, right? It's getting you to mm -hmm. care about my bill as much as I care about my bill. Um, and having those meetings in the hallway and grabbing folks before and after meetings. And you can't do that when, when you're on Zoom, right? Um, and so everything just takes a little bit longer. I, I, we, we passed 278 bills in my first year, and I'd be surprised if we do 120 this year. Interesting. Okay. Thank you for answering that. Yeah. And I, I guess my last question, because I guess I always have to ask about it, the, and I don't mean to smile, but the Valley Firefighter Training School, which is ready to go, but Governor Lamont gives us the high hat, apparently. Is there any chance, do you think that'll ever move forward or is it just over? It, it, it's, not, it's not dead. It's, it's not a dead project. Um, and and I, I'm in touch with the board of the Valley Fire School regularly. Um, I think that the, the thing is, is that, you know, when there's a lot of really, you know, what sounds like mundane updates, you, you know, you, you check in with, with the stakeholders, you check in with the board of the fire school, you let them know what's, what's happening or the timeline. Um, until we know what's happening with federal dollars in the budget, um, you know, that always happens first. What we saw, um, and each governor is a little bit different. So, you know, Governor Malloy did a lot more bonding than Governor Lamont does. Governor Lamont 
holds the purse strings a little tighter. Um, and he d has done one, uh, several small bondings and then one large one. And that's where a lot of projects were done. So we, if that pattern holds, then we're going to expect that, that, that there's going to be some small bonding and then there will be a large one at some point down the road. I don't expect um, just being realistic about how this is all structured that anything will probably happen before the budget is sorted out. Um, and so, you know, this is something that the, the you know, I, I'm in touch regularly with the Board of the Fire School, um, they're aware of. I also have uh, two bills in on the fire service right now that I'm working on with them. So, um, you know, there's, there's lots of ways to help the volunteer fire service. Um, and uh, you've probably heard me say it a thousand times. I'm, I'm a little bit of a sucker on this issue uh, in the sense that um, I was raised in it and it's, it's extremely close to my heart, um, you know. It, it's not an abstract to me uh, talking about, you know, the guys that get up in the middle of the night to go and, you know, pull somebody out of a car when, they're, they're, when their car slides in, on a snowbank in a storm. That's, that's how I was raised, was what I grew up with. And so, um, you know, whether I, when I know, whether I know the firefighter or not, they're like family to me, I guess you could say. So um, it, there's a handful of people that really know policy well with the fire service in Hartford. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm one of a, a few. There's a Pat Boyd out in the eastern part of the state. Uh, Representative Boyd is a volunteer firefighter himself. Um, uh, Representative Cook uh, up in Torrington. And, and there's, a, there's a few others, Susan Johnson, um, who are really huge advocates in the fire service. So I'm honored to be in that group. So we'll see what happens there. All right, uh, Representative Rochelle, is there anything else you wanted to add? I thought this was going to be a half hour. It turned out to be more like an hour. Sorry about that. But uh, before we call it a day. Um, I am doing um, just just want to plug. Uh, so uh, prior to COVID, there was we, um, twice monthly community coffee office hours that I did in districts. Uh, I would do them um, at a location in Sonia, location in Derby. With COVID, obviously we can't do that, but we're re-upping um, the program and doing it via Zoom. So uh, I'll uh, have a flyer up on my state rep page, including um, Senator Cabrera, may include some of the other delegation at some point too, um, but wanted to just plug that and say, if you are somebody that has interested in learning more about the process, questions about any of the bills that are coming up, ideas, feedback, don't hesitate to be in touch. It's important that you're part of the process. Um, you know, this is democracy in action. And so um, don't hesitate to be in touch. All right. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time uh, to do this. I very much appreciate it. And uh, I guess I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Eugene. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.